You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because we promised we would until Neil and Liam get back together. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, whose name in French actually translates to Le Petit Fromage. Benedict, what's a unique food product you enjoy? A unique food product? Mm-hmm. Uh... I don't know if there's, there's... You don't have any picadillos you're into? There's not a specific brand of... Picadillos. I don't know. I don't have like a, a, there's not a particular bag of chips you enjoy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just I'm, something... I'm, I'm particularly snobby about chips, I think. Like, kettle chips are my vibe. And especially... Yeah, especially everyone could hear that about salt, you, just yeah. from your voice, yes. <laughs> salt and vinegar kettle chips are like my Ooh, go-to. Lays. Oh, yeah. Who would eat such a thing? Yeah, well, I grew up with them being called walkers, so. which is, by the way, an ironic reflection of American life versus British life in that we call them walkers and <laughs> you call them lays. Yeah, so. we're fucking lazy. Yeah. Uh, well, since you're so boring, Benedict, me, uh, this is something I just came across recently and have found that I surprisingly enjoy canned coffee. Oh, not something that has ever been a big part of my life, but you, the grocery store near my house had them um, uh, like the Starbucks the checkout line. vibes. No, not the Starbucks one. I got uh, I got a six pack of the Illy ones. Mm, Illy's uh, good. I don't know. I don't know. It was on sale. It was uh, by the checkout line. It was like uh, fifty cents a can or something. Yeah, so I, got, I don't uh, know if I'd call it unique, but sure. Well, canned coffee is not a huge thing here in the U.S. And I know that the Starbucks... I think it probably is now. Well, the Starbucks ones, like the Nitro Brew and stuff, yeah. I know those are taken off. But uh, I think they're the, the main thing I'm saying is they're not as big here in the U.S. as they are around the world. Other people like them more than we do. Uh, and for me, it's great for me because I do not like hot beverages. Oh, interesting. I prefer cold beverages. Mm. Even if it is 30 degrees outside, I would rather have an iced beverage than a steaming hot beverage. Mm, interesting. Uh, so it's a way for me to consume coffee. And there was just it was just plain black coffee in a can. It was wonderful. I don't know why that's so good. That's good. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I sugar in it or anything. I, uh, they do like the bottled cold brew that I really like. Um, ah, well, you're bougie as hell. I, sorry, Illy is the same. Like, it's no <laughs> different. Illy's like Benedict, an Italian espresso sale. company. They were on sale. Okay, it's fine. Well, Benedict, you probably know. I'm interrupting you now. I'm not letting you finish that thought. But the listener well, you're not may not allowing me to call you bougie the day before you start your job as a lawyer. Exactly what it is we do here on this program, which is where we go deep, 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 deep. And every other week we review a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction, and in between we take a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, you started us off. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Uh, I do, yeah, and it is that my favorite sandwich place, it's just like expressing my excitement at my favorite sandwich place that I've ever been to in Italy, <laughs> has now opened in New York City. And I I'm thought you were going to say like, ah, oh, Potbelly, what a yeah. great sandwich. No, no, it's this, okay, so it's this Italian place that's done Benedict, have you ever had the Quiznos hot Listen, toasted I'm, sub? Listen, <laughs> I'm leaning into the bougie, let me go with it. Uh, it's this place that we went to in Florence when we were there in 2019. I have literally been thinking about that sandwich since 2019 and last night 
we discovered Quiznos. Yeah, Quiz- that's the name Quiz- of it, right? Quizne. Um, last night we discovered that they had opened a New York City location, had expanded the franchise, and I was so excited that I never oh. remember my dreams. I literally had a dream about this sandwich, <laughs> and not only did I have a dream about this sandwich, I had a dream about being in line for the sandwich. Oh, I was God. so excited that even in my dream they were like, "There's no way, even in an ideal world, that there won't be a line out the door for this I- sandwich." I feel like what this really is, the reason why you're so excited, is an opportunity for you to say, well, it's not as good as the one in Italy. No, it's not. It's it's It was perfectly good. It was perfectly okay. good. Okay. So, All right. All right. I'm very excited. Uh, and uh, everyone should go. All right. Boozy Sandwiches are us. Fine. Boozy Sandwiches are us. It's called Atlantico Vinaya. Thank you for finally giving the name. Yeah, there you so go. So that when I am in New York City, I can go get this delicious sandwich I've been told can so I, much about. If you're in New York City, we're going together. I know you're going to take me there. <laughs> you don't have to find it on your own. I'd like, good luck with that Italian sandwich, man. I like, if it's meant to be, you'll find it. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, when you come to St. Louis, I'm taking you to a seafood restaurant. Okay, that sounds terrible. <laughs> It is. Yeah, okay, what's your hot take? My hot take, Benedict, this week, uh, my hot takes are too serious. That's my hot take. Gotcha, I see. Yeah, that's true, based on the one we started last week. this. We, when we started this segment, it was supposed to be, ah, these are really lukewarm takes. And over time, I have generally, like, it's become my place to vent about something that's been bothering me mm-hmm. the last couple days. Like, last week, I talked about uh, uh, Babbitt, Babbitt, who got, yeah. got yeah, died at the January 6th how she's actually a victim. And I think the week before that, I was talking about something else I got mad about based on my online research. Um, yeah, I need to I need to cool it, is what I'm getting at yeah, here. I think that's probably I right. I need to stop caring so much I, about everything. Know, sure, yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah. So I need to talk about podcast. sandwich shops. Yeah, I enjoy. that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, trying to bring light in the mood before we get into yeah. the conservative. Well, Benedict, why don't we move on a little bit? What's on your bookshelf this week? Well, on my bookshelf slash Netflix queue this week. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, You're pulling a me. I've run out of books, <laughs> so I can't read them quickly enough because you make me pre-record all these shows now. Uh-huh. Um, we, so, pardon, we are pre-recording this episode. Yeah, I know. I just, just this episode. I know. This is the first one we've pre-recorded in like six months. That's true, yeah. No, I'm just uh, I'm letting the listeners know. Uh, breaking the magic. Speaking through the fourth wall. Um, Ooh, it's cor- actually still October. <laughs> Spooky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to make a Halloween joke. I decided against it. Um, Call My Agent is a French show, again, leading into the bougieness, that is actually just really funny and good. And it's about the, the lives of agents um, of the French elite actors uh, and all the hijinks that they get up to and it's lots of backstabbing it's lots of gossip lots of drama it's really good and they just uh, they just announced that they're making an English version which is really good because the French well it's not good I think it'll be bad but it's fine <laughs> I don't know why we insist on doing English language remakes of things but the, I think the reason they are doing it um, and is because like the French show is full of French stars. Do you want to spend 20 minutes complaining about how the original office was better? Is that what you want to do? No, because that's, I don't need 20 minutes for that. That's just obviously true. (laughs) Um, The, uh, the, the, the French one is full of French stars, but I am not, super aware of all the french stars in the world so they're like oh my god it's cecile la france and i'm like is it though and is that important does that french matter stars. gerard depardieu you know gerard okay depardieu. Depard- yeah there's one um there's... and that guy that was in the artist i guess i, I don't know i didn't I don't watch know. that i, I never saw name. the artist um, no, well he's you. in it anyway um he's one the, and each episode focuses on like a different star of french cinema or tv having some kind of problem that they need to solve it's kind of like extra in that way but it's based around the the agents rather than episode where gerard depardieu got really drunk and murdered a prostitute Oof. that's uh that kind of thing yeah but not like that exactly <laughs> yeah not that exactly uh, was bribed by vladimir putin to move to russia uh <laughs> anyway uh just watch call my agent what about you right. what's your what's your uh, well ben your since we live in shelf. bizarro world this week oh this you're doing week, a real I... book I'm, I'm, yeah, actually a book, actually a fucking wow. book. It's back, it's John Ronson again, uh, because I'm still, you know, I've been going on and off, going back to the John Ronson collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I own like four or five of his books, so I've just been picking them up whenever I have some free time. Uh, this week, recommending So You've Been Publicly Shamed. From, I think it's, it's 2015 or 2016 I wrote that. No, I had never read I it before. It's a little older than that, I think. That's one of his I had never read before, and it is easily 
the most disturbing, even more disturbing than the ones he writes about all his time hanging out with, uh, you know, white supremacists and shit. For yeah. me, So You've Been So Publicly Shamed made me confront myself and my own online activity and the fact that m- I realize most of it is just sarcastic tweets about someone else's actions that is part of this public shaming that is uh, inherently problematic that John Ronson is pointing out so well in this book and oh it hurt me to my core it really it yeah. really hurt me to my core yeah it's the uh, it, it's the oh it's that South Africa the the woman yes the woman um, who, who got on the plane and then when she and landed she Twitter was like tracking yeah. her flight and yeah, yeah. It was bad. that was bad. and I sort of remembered that from yeah. real time back when it happened no I just sort of just the level of glee around it was very uh indicative. That, it's just horrifying. It's just horrifying. We Justine, did that. Justine, Justine. We did that. Yeah, it was way. There's a hashtag was like, has Justine landed yet? Or yeah, something, something like and that. And God damn. And she just made like the. It was it's supposed an to be a joke. joke. It was a bad joke. It was a bad innocuous. joke. It was supposed to be the opposite of the way I think a lot of people took it. Like she, she's a you know. It was supposed to be a white privilege gal. joke. Exactly. She was supposed to be making fun of. That's what she intended was yeah. to make fun of her own white privilege, uh, because it was a joke about how she was uh, going to South Africa and she was like hashtag hope I don't that? get AIDS and then haha no I'm actually white. Yeah. So but she, and she got destroyed. Yeah. She got she got destroyed for it and it's just oh it my wasn't God. a good joke. Let's just be clear about no, that. No. But it's the thought of like what. Oh, there have been times we've gotten it wrong. I'm sure. I'm sure we've gotten it wrong. And we all have taken part in these collective online shamings. Yeah. Um, even when, you know, maybe it comes out later, we all don't even realize it, that we just piled on someone who, you know, didn't deserve it. Um, yeah. Really no, makes think, me think about my own activity in I the I think past. what you said last week is right, though, of like trying not to punch down on these things. Yeah. And assessing people's actual... Pa- like, because I think we can very, very... Ca- get very caught up in power structures and stuff but like realistically individuals have very little power unless they have been elected to some form of position of yeah. power or like like lead a multinational company like so you know things like yeah. this feel icky it is it is because time. we all know what we've said about karen's online in the past mm-hmm. anyways benedict why don't we move on a little bit? Housekeeping this week. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Remember to leave us all the stars. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter. Uh, I don't have any uh, members of our New World Spooky World Order uh, this week because, as I mentioned, we are recording ahead of time. But remember, if you would like to become part of our New World Spooky World Order, yeah. Then you can go either post about us on social media, send me a screenshot of that, or leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell us what you want us to say about you, what name you want us to say, whatever it is. You don't have to be a patron. You can be just anybody. Let us know, and you will be inducted into our new world, Spooky World Order. (laughs) With all that out of the way, Benedict, we will continue our book review of God and Man at Yale, The Superstitions of Academic Freedom by William Frank Buckley, Jr., the progenitor of all horrors experienced in modern America. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of chapter one, in which William F. Buckley, the man who insisted he didn't want a seminary, is mad that Yale isn't a seminary. He very much is. Really it is mad. weird. So mad. Because we read this in chunks, it's sometimes a little weird, but I sort of went back over what we talked about on the last time we did this book and realized he has sort of progressed from the very beginning where he had the same faux independence, faux Mm -hmm. neutrality that I think all the authors we experienced do and said, I don't want a seminary at Yale. I just think we need to, you know, Christianity should be treated properly. It shouldn't be discouraged. And as we go through these pages, he ends up more and more towards the end on the side of, well, it's not enough to just not mention Christianity. You have to actively be pushing for every person you meet to be a Christian, and they have to be the right kind it's of literally, Christian. It's, it's Pauline, like, good works are not enough, right? Like, yes. that, that's the that's basically the thrust of this chapter, because by the end of it, he's Which like, is listen, people do... Which is he's a Catholic. <laughs> well, I mean, St. Paul was also a Catholic. Well, um, but no, the, the, the whole split between Catholics and Protestants is faith alone or faith and good works, right? Catholics being on the side of faith and good works, mm-hmm. uh, with, with, you know, most Protestants being uh, the solo, what is it? So, how do you say it in Latin? Solo, faith alone? I don't remember what it is. Solo uh, fides. Yes, that, that, that's it. Uh, being, that's the only way to get to heaven or whatever the case is. 
Um, I but think yes, it was I, the other way I, around, I isn't it? No, Catholics uh, Catholics believe in faith and good works. Oh, interesting. Uh, most Protestants, uh, by the way, I shouldn't have to point out to you since you were raised in a Protestant household. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, you're British. Uh, but yeah, so it, it does get weird throughout this, this chapter as he just gets more extreme and doesn't, I think, realize that he's getting more extreme as he goes. He just sort of stumbles into it because it was what he intended from the very beginning. It's really more like his faux neutrality or his faux reasonableness is falling away and what's underneath is being exposed. Yeah, and no, I think that that's exactly true. Um, but yeah, it's it's but it starts in a very weird way too. Like the yes. starting, and I think it, it's not the, it, we've made it start in a weird way by the way that we divided the chapter, but it's just very jarring to me. Cause like, this is his least good argument. I think <laughs> like, I, I think his, his, his best argument, not that it was a particularly good argument, but like he was right to open the chapter with yeah. like religion, how religion is taught at Yale. But now because of the way we divided the chapter, he's opening it absolutely apoplectic that religion isn't taught by the psychology department which i'm just like come on this is such yeah, a weird stance to take he's definitely kept his weakest arguments yeah, for the second he did half not he did not bury the lead like yeah so as you mentioned this part of the chapter where we we start up again opens with the department of psychology and that's where we are going to begin this week's review uh he opens by saying quote from the student's point of view, the psychology department of Yale does not seem to be as vigorous as either the philosophy or sociology departments, which I feel like is a bit of a dig, but it, it was the 1950s. Dig. Psychology probably wasn't all that Fine, rigorous back But then. do you know, the, like, it's weird, again, weird to open with that because he literally puts a footnote of like, but it is one of the best departments in the country and is consistently recognized as that. So, yeah, like, yeah, he does. It's just, like, just don't <laughs> write the first sentence. Like, either don't write the footnote or don't write the first sentence. Like, there's no need for you to introduce this in that way. Well, it's I feel like it's a little bit of that, you know, superiority thing going no, on. No, it is. It's, but it's what easy, I'm saying but is we're still the best at it even though it's easy. That sort <laughs> sure. of thing going on. Sure. Say that in an upper crust accent. <laughs> um, but he says then after that quote, certainly insofar as religion is concerned, there is not nearly so much outspokenness. That is to say, more often than not, Yale psychologists simply do not mention religion. Why should they? That that was my thought exactly. <laughs> and he does go a little bit we're going to talk about um, how I think that you can talk about religion when it comes to psychology if you're talking about how religion affects the psychology of other individuals. Yeah. But something I think he misses think a little bit is that's sociology. still more sociology. Yeah. Yes, it's still more in the realm of sociology. But he spends most of this section complaining that the professors and the textbooks used just don't discuss religion, just don't seem to care about it. Mm -hmm. When he thinks it needs to be, as with everything, the number one thing that's discussed in all areas. It has to be... Religion, which I have to remind everyone once again, by religion, he means his brand of fundamentalist mm -hmm. uh, conservative uh, Catholicism, uh, essentially. Although I think he would probably say, we get into some stuff that gets weird when it comes to yeah. his idea on, you know what I'm talking about. Where you're like, yeah. what type of Christianity matters? How should we treat it? He sort of advocates for something that's against his purposes. We'll get to it. But he starts off bringing up the first professor, and really one of the only professors he's going to talk about here, which is Mr. Doob. D-O-O-B. Mr. Doob. Uh, I, Doob I did manage to look this individual up. His name is Leonard W. Doob. And uh, he uh, actually had a very interesting career. Uh, apparently was a pretty important person in the field of psychology. Uh, he wrote a lot about motives, motive and drive. That mm -hmm. was what uh, one of his big things he cared about, as well as he had like this theory about traits, how traits are a thing. It all ties together. I didn't get that deep into it. Uh, he also, though, wrote a lot about propaganda, mm. which I found to be ironic Interesting. as one of the people that uh, Bucks is bringing up here in this chapter. But about Mr. Dew, Buckley says, quote, Mr. Uh, this is the case, for example, with the most popular professor of psychology, Mr. Doob, who makes no reference to religion in his course on social psychology. It would appear that this silent treatment is in tune with the attitude displayed by many basic textbooks in the field. And that's really like the only professor he's going to bring up. He's just going to talk he's about... He's mad about textbooks. <laughs> yeah, Big which is math. different than what he talked about in all the other sections. Mm -hmm. He talked about all the professors, and now he's going to talk about just that one professor and a bunch of textbooks. I guess, if I had to guess, maybe he just doesn't know anything about those other professors, and this is a very lazily written book, so he didn't bother to do any research on it because it's just him complaining. 
But he brings up, of course, like I said, some of the textbooks that were used. And some of the names are just, you know, psychology, outside readings in psychology, Mm -hmm. dynamic psychology. Social psychology, psychology in life, etc., etc. Yeah. And he points out that uh, some people did some research into these. I say research very loosely because the people that he's citing from in specific are very much religious fundamentalists who just were looking for reason to complain about things, these things. Mm -hmm. All of his references, all of Buckley's references towards what's in these textbooks with regards to religion come from this guy, Gordon W. Alport. And Alport, in his work, is citing these other people who have written about these textbooks. It's very convoluted and confusing to figure out who is saying what when it comes to these things. And Buckley's citations that are in the uh, footnotes at the end of the book are not particularly helpful either in this regard. But Buckley says, quote, Rush's, R-U-C-H, apostrophe S, I'm assuming that's somebody's last name, Rush, mm-hmm. psychology and life makes mention of religion only in one passage, which is unabashedly derisive. And the quote he pulled from it, which is again taken by him from Gordon W. Alport's book, is, quote, It is interesting to note that when the part of this brain thought by the phrenologist to be the center of religion is stimulated, a man twitches his leg. Never, you should never cite the phrenologists as like... (laughs) No, but what, here's what's actually going on there. So Buckley is citing that as if to say this textbook is critical of religion because the textbook says, well, the phrenologists say that this part of the brain has to do with religion. It actually makes you twitch your leg. Um, The textbook itself, which he quotes in the footnotes in the end of this book, actually says if you continue with that quote, something along the lines of, I include this not to be, uh, to deride religion, but to deride phrenologists. Yeah. (laughs) It was a joke about phrenology being dumb. That's how how this always goes. But Buckley is distorting it and pretending as though it's actually a dig at religion. So it continues along in that way. And right, I mentioned this Gordon W. Alport, who is the Mm -hmm. guy where he's pulling a lot of this stuff from. Alport was a very interesting guy, had a lot of interesting stuff to say. Um, a lot of the other quotes he pulls, I'll just say about the rest of this chapter, a lot of the other stuff he pulls from the rest of this chapter comes from a book written by a pretty right-wing Christian fundamentalist guy who was just pushing for more religion, uh, in the classroom. And I think it was called like, uh, uh, the college seeks religion by this guy, Cunningham, Cunningham. Mm. It's a weird, it looks like it should be Cunningham, but um, it's just a guy who's trying to say, well, we need more religion in college. And uh, so I, I take a lot of the stuff he pulls from there as just being biased off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I didn't spend much time worrying about what any of those quotes had to say in particular. Was, we get a bunch of block quotes for the rest of this chapter. There's a bunch of that sort of big block quoting. I don't want to call it laziness because sometimes it makes sense to do it, but it is a little bit lazy. When you just pull in big block quotes and then putting a sentence in between it and your next block quote, a little bit of laziness going on there. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> I disagree with that. But then after discussing these textbooks for the psychology department, he makes an admission. It's right. This made me laugh a lot. He makes an this admission. Made, I, of his I, own I underlined laziness. this and put three yes. exclamation points next to it. He spends basically an entire page ish defending his own laziness. He hand he waves saying, away. Quote, yeah, go ahead. I have not analyzed the textbooks offered in the advanced courses, but the basic course in most Yale departments is generally organized with the active help and participation of the department's policymakers, and thus reflects the mood of the more advanced courses. So he's just... He's just been like, I didn't understand the advanced... It's probably the same. Yeah. It's probably the same, right? It probably builds on it. Yeah, not like... (laughs) Anyway, it really whatever. spends like, you know, almost a page explaining away the fact that he was too lazy to look into any of those. And here's the thing, Benedict, if he had not brought it up, I would not have given a wouldn't second have even of the thoughts thought. about it. No. Why would have I have thought, thought well, about it. he's talked about all these textbooks here. Why is he not talking about any of the upper level textbooks? He's, yeah. just, he's listed about four or five different textbooks, but none of those names to me and my obvious information about psychology, which I obviously have. And how it was taught like Yale in the, the 1950s. Textbooks that a class yeah, would use. Exactly. Yes. So, it, but he drew attention to it, and it goes back to what I think I argue a lot, or what I have been arguing. I think I've talked with you off off uh, air about it a little bit. Is I think compared to all the people that we have read, Buckley is maybe the only one, or maybe one or two, who actually believes the shit he says, mm-hmm. which is why he feels like he has to explain 
why he's not talking about those upper level textbooks. Because yeah. to him, he's he's writing this and he's going, well, how strong are my arguments? Yeah. And am I being correct? And then he realizes, oh, I didn't talk about any of those. And it's, you know, probably, it probably didn't take him very long. It's to quite funny. Book, I had to guess. Yeah, no, but, yes, it's dashed out in an afternoon. But he's getting near the end and he's like, well... I guess I just have to explain that I don't have, I, you know, I just didn't do that. And uh, if the readers uh, have any problem with that, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll reach out to me personally. Yeah. And I, I think can, it, I can discuss it probably says quite a lot. Books. It probably says quite a lot about his intended audience of like, yeah. he, he thinks he's writing for quite a rigorous audience, which oh. I'm not sure he is. I'm sure he thought his classmates would buy this book. Yeah. I'm sure he thought that a bunch of his Yale classmates would end up buying this book. I, I'm sure that's I'm true. I'm sure so many of them did. Um, uh. The other thing I was going to say is it's quite funny for like a guy that was famous for, for allegedly doing doing the reading uh yeah. didn't do the reading and admits to not doing the reading yeah I, the, the last thing i wanted to say about the psychology stuff is he the way he frames it is like oh you have to think about how religion has affected the human personality over the last two thousand years or whatever um not which is Christian, a good, i think that's a good point i think a, that it, is something that could I, be, that probably is studied by psychology it's, it's a fair point i would my counterpoint to it is that the vast majority of people that have ever lived in the world were not christian true. let alone catholic also true <laughs> so studying it from a catholic point of view that's not very useful well, but so and he, I, he I but he equivocates that, on it. He equivocates on that true. later, and and he equivocates here and later in the chapter by pretending that he doesn't care which religion is taught about. Yes, that yes. he wants a, any religion to be taught about, but that's not what he wants, and so, like self-claimedly, that's not what he wants. Well, and he that, wants that Christianity to, to be say. taught. Yeah, I would say two things. I would say one, I am sure that currently psychologists study the impact of religion sure they on on the psyche and stuff and, like and that. if not then sociologists which i think is more of a Absolutely. distinct discipline i, I think they probably both study it there's yeah. there you know i didn't do any looking into I, if i were to google right now i could probably pull up some journal articles that mm -hmm. were dealing with the subject but second going to what you just said which i agree with wholeheartedly it's absolutely not his point that well we should study how religion impacts the psyche he wants the, the psychology classes to somehow reinforce his position that Christianity is good and right and proper. And that cuts against what he's seeming to be arguing here. That mm -hmm. there should just be study into how it affects... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't mesh with everything else he's trying to say here. He says, in specific, quote, Unless the influence of the textbooks is vigorously count, uh, counteracted from the lecture platform, which it is not then the student of basic psychology is unlikely to learn that the historical Christian faith has today and has had throughout the ages a colossal impact among, upon human personality. Even more, as seems always the case where there is little or no mention of religion, the student assumes that the subject is neither important nor relevant. And I think that's the bigger... I mean, no, I would say the, the, the first one, the first one, that mm -hmm. uh, the Christian faith has had a colossal impact on human personality. I think what he wants is for that to be taught as a positive, that the impact of Christianity upon personality has been a positive one. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he wants to be taught in specific, even though, as he admits, he did not study psychology. At no, or the advanced textbooks even at all. Yes, yes. But you would think if he had taken upper level psychology, he would have. You know, he would have one of those textbooks at, at least read yeah opened a textbook at some point okay let's we do extracurricular activities yes so he yes the next section we get to extracurricular activities and this is where i think this is the most fun i had in this chapter honestly yeah it's because weird here we get some fun some weird some weird fun stuff and he starts this one off by saying quote High in the list of alleged indications of religious activity at Yale is the extracurricular work of a more or less Christian nature that is undertaken by undergraduates. It seems that the extracurricular religious program at Yale is far more pronounced than, for example, at Harvard. <laughs> and those who seek to demonstrate the religious nature of Yale make much of this fact. So, you know, inter-Ivy League shitting on each other aside, uh, he's, he's admitting right off the bat there's a lot of religion in the extracurricular activities going on at Yale. And he starts off by telling us about Dwight Hall, which I guess I did a little bit of looking into is just like an old building that has the chapel in it. Yeah, and some of the student yeah. organizations are housed there. Yep. And apparently most of the student organizations that are in that building have to do in some way, like most of the religious student organizations are in that building. So like all the various Christian organizations of which there are, 
I think literally dozens when I looked at the Yale website, like the student organizations page, there are like dozens mm-hmm. of different religious organizations there. But even back then, it appears, most of them were in Dwight Hall. And of course, in the middle of that is the Church of Christ, which is a church that's in the middle of the hall. And you would imagine <laughs> that's, a, that's a source of religion, as he would want it on campus. Yes, yeah, you would think. He also then points out that various uh, officers and, and members of the organizations in the hall do periodic religious retreats. They have seminar groups that go to the homes of various members of the faculty and discuss books and religious movements. Um, also points out that they have a snack bar, a Coke machine, and a phonograph. Which, <laughs> a couple things you never want to leave out of your, your hall. But he says, quote, Yet... The impartial investigator cannot but conclude that the religious, in italics for some reason, influence of Dwight Hall is in no way commensurate with its general importance on the campus. Why? I don't know. It's unclear. You know, probably because of the Coca-Cola machine. Probably, yeah. Uh, (laughs) If I had to be honest, like, I can imagine in 1949 or whatever... People came there because there's a Coke machine, a phonograph. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and it, wasn't, a snack it wasn't for the religion. Like, I'm sure, like, the religious kids are hanging out there, too. But there was some jerk-off who looked like me in cargo shorts uh, sitting on a couch drinking a Coke and eating a bag of chips. Sounds right? right. Because there's a snack bar and a Coke machine and a phonograph. And listening to whatever you listen to on a phonograph in 1949. I don't know. Did they have music then? I don't feel like they didn't have music in 49. I feel like they weren't allowed to have it yet. It just feels like a thing. I feel like blues, um, blues was probably around. Sure, sure. Uh, but it was Yale. They didn't allow that. Uh, as uh, they would blues, say, blues is the devil's Negro music. music yeah, was well, not allowed at yeah. Yale in 1949. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> and if Buckley had heard it, he would shit himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he continues saying, quote, There are no laurels more deserved than those won by students who spend several hours a week administering a recreational program for New Haven children. These are programs run out of Dwight Hall. That's why he's bringing it up. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the work need have no bearing whatever on religion. I will be challenged that the motives are irrelevant. Charitable work gets done. True, in a sense. But the activity cannot be interpreted as indicating religious activity at Yale unless one would be willing to assert that all good activity stems out of religious motivation. And I am certain that this generalization would meet with the disfavor it deserves. So that's what we were talking about earlier, where he's he's dismissing charity unless it's driven by religion. And also says that charity alone is not uh religion religion doesn't motivate charity and just because charity is done doesn't mean religion has been served well and in a way there he's cutting against an argument i have heard from plenty of his followers you know in later history the dinesh d'souza's of the world that all religion motivates charity yeah exactly those sort of arguments he's saying well that's that's not true yeah but he does admit that there's this charitable work that gets done there and it's not necessarily religious and i would say it's who cares yeah as long as charity gets done, I, I agree with the people he's arguing. Against. No, he he does. He It's funny that he preempts Dinesh's argument that all charity is caused by religion and calls it yeah. garbage like 40 years before Dinesh yes. got there. Yeah, I just love it whenever Dinesh's... I don't, I don't know if Dinesh in any of our readings or interactions with him ever specifically mentioned Buckley, but the fact that Dinesh was at uh, the National Review and I'm... Oh, he's I'm a Reaganite sure. as well. I mean, he, yeah. yeah, was a Reaganite. I'm sure he admired Buckley. But that Buckley, just at so many points, has just shit right on Dinesh's arguments, right? <laughs> the the academic freedom facile. bullshit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this why. whole book is just, fuck academic freedom. I'm not yeah. into it. And Dinesh, they won't let me come talk on campus because they hate academic freedom. All that sort of shit going on. He continues, though, quote, Dwight Hall's magazine, Et Veritas, has no clear-cut editorial brief for Christianity. In fact... Membership on its staff requires no profession of faith in even the most attenuated dogmas of Christianity. The 1949 November issue of Et Veritas did, it is true, contain some sort of a statement of faith by the editors who chose the Christian philosophy, but as a personal conviction rather than an editorial sure, policy. Sure, it's not Benedict- a Catholic magazine. Like, <laughs> Well, 
here's a well, this is one of those areas where I don't think he's specifically pushing for Catholicism. He just wants them to enforce a policy that you must be Christian mm-hmm. in order to work well, on. Well, not this only magazine? that, but the, the, yeah, the, you must write about Christianity in order to write for the Christian magazine. Like it, you know, it, the editors themselves being Christian isn't good enough. They have to. It, it's an editorial policy, which frankly just makes for a boring magazine with far lower readership. Yes. Yes, and that you know that might be a that might be a thing. I have to think every time I hear about all these people wanting their form of Christian fascism in the workplace or whatever it is, um, how much more boring wherever they work or whatever they do would end up being, because mm-hmm. everyone just agrees with one. I I couldn't imagine just agreeing with everyone all the time. No, I seek out. <laughs> That's why we do I mean, this, this podcast. This I seek out positions that disagree with my own. That's sort of my thing. Like I can't imagine just having yes men around all the time. Mm-hmm. That'd be so boring, so incredibly boring. But he continues complaining about the editors of this magazine, which I don't know. It, 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 it doesn't seem to exist still today, so I couldn't find much information on it. It's called Et Veritas, which is like part of the Yale motto. Um, it just I means and the truth. Yes, I couldn't find much about it, but he says, he continues talking about them, saying, quote, Later, they reminded their readers that they do not forsake their conviction that the Christian philosophy is the most adequate, the most pervasive, the most conducive to understanding. Such a utilitarian conception of Christianity, coupled with this brand of self-effacement and steadfast refusal to proclaim Christianity as the true religion which is what all genuine Christian leaders proclaim it to be, thus committing themselves logically to the proposition that all other religions are untrue, is a sample of the adulteration of religion to the point that it becomes nothing more than the basis for my most favorite way of living. The instincts are fine, and a good life is inevitable for such persons. But so long as what they profess can be subscribed to wholeheartedly by an atheist, we have not really got religion at all. So there's a lot in that paragraph. A lot in that paragraph. Starting with, I think, the one thing that stepped out to me is, I want all these people to not only say that they are Christians, I want them to say that Judaism is false, and that Islam is false, and that Buddhism is false, and be purposefully antagonistic with every other religious group on campus. That seems to me to be what he's calling for there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, it's a fair reading. Yeah, yeah, and we get a little bit more of an uh, inkling of that later when he starts talking about some of the on-campus activities that happened when he was at Yale. But also, continuing on there, he says that what he described, coming from the editors of the, this magazine, could be subscribed to wholeheartedly by an atheist, which I think gives us a view into what he thinks an atheist is. Yeah. And this is always a problem when you and I are reading about religious people. We're both atheists. We simply don't believe that any of that stuff is true. There is no God, no afterlife, no none of that, blah, blah, blah. Religious people have a different idea of what atheists are than we do, it seems, most of the Definitely. time. Yep. They do not we seem to that. understand what exactly it is, because um, I could not agree with any of those statements by the editors of that magazine, no. uh, that Christian philosophy is adequate or pervasive, or that they are Christians, or any of that. That doesn't make sense. You just, you just can't. So I think we, we, because we sort of were confused a little bit earlier when we were doing this chapter, the first half, about what he meant by terms like atheist and agnostic. Mm-hmm. I think that gives us a little bit more of an inkling that when he says atheist, that 1950s-ish definition of atheist, and certainly the one that conservatives would use, is different, I think, than many of us in the modern day would use the term as. So just a little bit revealing there for us, I mm-hmm. think that helps. But the next thing he gets to, Benedict, is where we get a little more fun is complaining that the deacons, apparently this is a group... Uh, this that, is very funny again. This, this is very funny. So that, that chapel, uh, or not that, not the one in Dwight, uh, I think it's a different one, uh, Battelle Chapel. He lists a bunch of different places. I'm not sure where exactly this is going on, but it's a chapel, it's a church, there's services going on, and they have uh, ushers, or deacons as they're called, the undergraduate deacons. And previously... Uh, they were selected by a vote of the campus, which he even notes sort of just turned into a popularity contest. Yeah, which so means he point, never won, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what that means. <laughs> he points that out. And he says, so at some point, the chaplain just said, no, we're not doing it by vote anymore. I'm just picking them. And he says, quote, and yet, despite the reform, several atheists and agnostics have been chosen as ushers, at least during the past four years. This unimaginable slight towards Christianity that 
people who probably just casually believed in religion uh, were chosen as ushers for this church, which I guess means they just stood in the aisles and showed people where to sit. I'm not sure if there was yeah, more to it. Yeah, that's what an usher does. Generally. Yeah, because like, you know, it's, I grew it's up It's a Catholic. very basic job. Well, I grew up Catholic and we had altar boys, which yeah, are a different well, thing. That's a different thing, yeah. Which I never did. Uh, but yeah, they like, they, they actually it's stood the same, up there. It's the same like, as you get as a, a wedding. Like, that's what the ushers are. Okay, that, that's what I assumed. That's very much what I assumed. But that's what he's describing. And he's complaining about the fact that there were people who were not sufficiently religious for Buckley's taste who were chosen as ushers. And then we get this really weird bit here, which is still about the ushers. But he quotes an editorial in the Yale Daily News, which, remember, Buckley was the editor of, mm -hmm. uh, from 1950, which the title is... Once again, Buckley quoting his own work. Well, this was by Chairman Garrison N. Ellis, and I think that was chairman of the newspaper. I tried to Google the name, figure out who it was. It doesn't seem to any, be anybody who was, you know, higher of up note. in the Yale administration yeah. or anything. I think it's just whoever was the chairman of the newspaper. But the title of this is, quote, All God's Chillin' Our Shoe. Mm -hmm. Benedict, you and I, in the past, have come across plenty of examples in our reading of people... Writing in fake ebonics to be racist on purpose? I don't think that's what this is. I don't think I, that's what well, this is. Well, I don't fucking know what it is, Benedict. Because well, he, there, is a, there is a star after that title. At the bottom of the page, it says, i.e. white shoe, i.e. Long Island polo set. Yeah. Uh, I tried to look into this, but there was apparently an old song called All God's Chillin' Have Shoes. Mm. Or all God's children so it's just have a bad play shoes. On that. I think it's a bad play on that. That's what I, I think. There's some inherent 1950s style racism going on in the title there. That's all Probably. I'm getting at. But all it is is this guy complaining about the fact that there was apparently an unnamed person who was actually an atheist. Who he says who of quote usher. he allowed as how he professed no particular religious beliefs. That was an usher. That's it. That's it. Yep, that's it. That's the end of the story. That, that's the complaint. Just fucking <laughs> All the best, nuts. everyone. Thanks. Bye. Yep. And I get that we're, we're viewing this from our modern context, right? In 2021. Some... Yeah, that's a gasp moment for 1950s readers. Yes, I get that in 1950, people were a bit more religious than they are these days. But they didn't have Netflix and better things to do. So, you know, it's just what it is. But then he starts talking about the various different groups on campus. He points out that Catholic students, like himself, can go use the facilities of the St. Thomas More Club. I don't know if they had a church on campus or not. He points out that the Jews had the Hillel Foundation. Um, and then there were various different organizations for the Baptists, Congregationalists, Episcopalians, Lutherans, blah, blah, blah. Basically, all he's saying is everyone had their own religious club. Every yeah. denomination imaginable had their own club which seems to be counter to the entire point of this chapter that there just wasn't religion on campus when basically every fucking denomination and religion you could think of had their own fucking club i guess yeah. but then he starts talking about the various activities and projects that took place on campus pointing out in particular and i did think this was funny he refers to but does not outright say that in fact he was one of the people who uh, organized this event. He sort of refers to the fact that he was, but he doesn't just outright admit it because I think that would be sort of admitting that <laughs> nobody really cared about this thing but him. Um, but there was this interfaith conference held in the spring of 1949. And he points out that it was subsidized by Dwight Hall, St. Thomas More, and the Hillel Foundation. I'm guessing mm -hmm. those were the three main groups involved. The Jews, the Catholics, and the... Uh, I don't know what Dwight Hall was. Episcopalian, maybe? I don't know. I never looked so, into what uh, exactly was the, the group of Dwight Hall. What was the religion there? I don't know. But he points out that what this was is basically a bunch of people came together. They had speakers from these various groups. So, you know, there was a rabbi who gave a speech and a Catholic priest who gave a speech or somebody, something like that, and somebody else, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he says, quote, Unfortunately, all the speakers were careful not to antagonize any participating faith to the point that they themselves, in my opinion, parenthetical, as co-chairman of the conference, and in the opinion of those members who assembled later for a postmortem, gave little impetus to religion. So I guess in his mind, and this goes back to what I said a little bit ago, in order to promote religion, what he terms religion, you have to shit on all the other religions. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing you just said. It's it's very similar. But again, I he's Catholic. Yale is not a Catholic school. No, what it's not a seminary. What he wants at Yale is for his religion to be shit on. That's what he's asking for. Oh, Am I, I crazy I think in thinking that? Be, no, I think he wants everything to be Catholic, but he just doesn't want to say it. Well, but he, he won't get that. That'll never happen. That'll just never be the result because Yale is a product. It's a fucking wasp school. That's what fucking yep. Yale is. That's what we all know it as. Also, fun uh, fun little note. There is a, an entire half-page-long note at the bottom of the page. Basically, him complaining about a time that they had Reinhold Niebuhr come speak at the school. They're just just complaining, basically, is all it is. There's not really any other point to it besides that. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's... That, Kevin, you just described the whole book. <laughs> But now, yeah, so- I mean, th- this whole this whole bit about, but like, it's just him being like, "I wish Yale was a seminary." That's, I mean, basically it, yeah. So he he's sort of he's no longer explicitly talking about extra extracurricular activities on the campus, but he never denotes to us that he's sort of shifting his attention. There's no header like there's been for all the other sections that he's going more general now for the rest of the chapter. It's yep. uh, it's no longer just talking about these extracurriculars, and he goes to a couple of quotes. Um, there's a Life magazine article he block quotes, which is just some guy saying, well, you can't really get people to be religious unless you force religion on them by teaching it to them in school. Okay, but sh- sure. But again, it would not be the religion you want taught. I don't get why you're arguing this for your alma mater when it would be counter. I think that, I mean, I, I would imagine they think it's better than dirty atheism. Possible. Like, if we can get people in the religious mindset, then they're easier to convert to Catholicism. Yeah, that is possible. He says, quote, um, It cannot be said of an institution that sponsors a large religion department that it ignores religion. And yet, considering the total impact of the religion department, considering also the small number of students who expose themselves to any course that teaches religion, this is just what he complained about last time we did this, the situation can be said to be worse. For while religion is offered, and the university thereby goes on record as considering it to be an area of study that lays claim to a body of learning, the university's offhandedness, perhaps unintentionally, reduces religion to approximately the status of a course in Greek mythology. If you're interested, study religion. You'll learn something about the history of the world and something about the traditions of our culture. If you want more, you will find a lot of facilities open to you in extracurricular life. And that... I actually think that's how religion should be taught. That is exactly what I was going to say. We agree. That is exact. That is how it should be. That And that is, yeah. as a matter of fact, that is how it is on most campuses across uh-huh. the country and probably the world where... It's an important cultural touchstone, as is Greek mythology, as is Islam, as is, Absolutely. you know, countless other religions. Um, so, yeah, we should learn about them, but in the context, not in the context of one of them being true over the others. And if you want more, as he said, you can go to seminary school, which yeah. is a thing or, he said he didn't Or do want stuff Yale in extracurricular life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I took organize a class. your own religious shit. I took a class at UC Berkeley taught by Ron Hasner, which is called uh, Religion and Politics. It was a wonderful class. It was just a uh, looked at all these different areas in which religion intersects with politics. That was just it. Which is a lot, presumably. Different lecture every week because the, the class was really just about, it was an essay writing class, so we are a paper class, so we had to write a 30-page research paper. But e- we could do it on any topic we wanted. But each, uh-huh. each week was just a lecture on a different topic. So it was, uh, you know, giving us ideas for things we could write about. But wonderful class. I learned so many amazing things. I had so many great ideas uh, inspired by that that class where he talked about where religion intersects with politics, which is obviously an area that interests me immensely to this day. Um, and that's that is you're right. It's how it should be taught. But mm-hmm. he has another block quote there, which is boring, and I'm not going to read it. But he continues after that, saying, "Quote: This is the attitude towards religion that, in the opinion of 16 respected scholars, prevails in too many American universities and colleges." Under the sponsorship of three national foundations and councils, these men, at the invitation of college administrations, held detailed discussions with the faculties of 53 colleges and universities. I only read that because the insistence upon those numbers that he keeps pointing out there was funny to me for some reason. It it just (laughs) read as though he thinks that including these specific numbers adds some sort of gravitas to what he's basically saying is uh some people did a study about religion on colleges 
Yeah. That's it. That's all That's he's it. saying. But 53, and there were 16 respected scholars. That sort 16. of thing. I keep. I always go back to Republicans think that fun facts are are uh it, what intelligence, intelligence is. yeah and yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily fun facts but it's sort of it's related to that idea of like these specific having specific numbers if you can name things off the top of your head that's what intelligence is and uh-huh. one thing alex jones always likes to do is rattle off a specific code citation uh to one little thing which he's you know he's wrong about what it means but no, he can no, ra- no. he has it memorized and he can rattle it off the top of his head and to dumb people that sounds like what intelligence is mm-hmm I am a lawyer. I cannot <laughs> rattle off any code citation to you, but I know much more about the law than Alex Jones does. Mm-hmm. Well, Alex Jones know what it's like to be sued. Which no, you well, don't. he does know that. He does know that. So we get a couple of big block quotes in here, and these, for the most part, are from that book I told you about earlier, the Cunningham book, uh, mm-hmm. College, what it, what it was, I don't remember what it was called, Religion in Who College cares? or something like that. I forget what the exact title of it was. The College Seeks Religion. Uh, so a bunch of block quotes from there, and it's, I'm, I'm not going to go into them for the most part because, it, A, it's confusing. These are quotes of quotes. So for some reason... Rather than quoting the original source, he chose to quote these quotes from another book that's quoting yep. them and has non-quote language in there. And it's such a fucked up nonsense way. Basically, it's all just complaining that uh, universities aren't seminaries. The, the same mm-hmm. exact thing we've seen throughout this chapter. It's just there's not enough religion on campuses and I'm mad about it. So after that, he says, quote, More than any other one characteristic of colleges in the last 25 years, this problem of the secularism of their facilities and students has represented a stumbling block to religion. That is all in italics, and I don't know why. Not explained. Could just be a typo thing. I have no idea. He continues, Much has been written about a revival of religion that has swept the country since the war's end. Yeah, he talks about this in his introduction. Yeah. Repeating it doesn't make it more true or more interesting. Well, I brought it up this time because uh, because he said it twice, it sort of stuck in my brain, and I went, well, I want to do a little research into that and find out what sort of truth there is behind it. And I think what he may be referring to is what is now referred to by historians as the Fourth Great Awakening which is also the Billy Graham movement, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a rise in fundamentalist uh, Christianity following World War II. By all measures, right, religiosity in the United States has been pretty much on a downhill slope since forever, right? (laughs) Go go back to the beginning of the country. We're basically on a downhill slope ever since. Mm -hmm. There are some bumps where things go up a little bit. But there was a rise in the level of fundamentalist Christianity Mm, post-World War II which is epitomized by the Billy Grahams and the the rise of the Baptist movement, right? The Fundamentalists, um, that comes from The Fundamentals, which was a book series that was published in the early 1900s, they really took off after World War II. And that's where we get sort of the modern evangelical. That's that's really where they come from. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be what he's referring to there. Uh, Based on what I saw, it doesn't appear to be that there was an actual resurgence in the amount of religiosity or the number of people going to church regularly or anything like that. But this one particular brand of Christianity did see a rise during that time. And I think I've nailed it down, and that's basically what he's talking about there. But he continues, and he says, quote, I have read that the period of skepticism that followed the Revolutionary War in this country saw a Yale wet witch for several years. Fewer than 10% of the student body, at that time only about 100, professed religion openly. Bullshit. (laughs) The Revolutionary War. The late 1700s. He thinks that only 10% of the Yale students openly professed religion yeah that's nonsense i find that and <laughs> absolute it, nonsense he sort of does clue us into it being bullshit i have read where why is there no citation there buckley mm. why is there why is it just an i have read that is i guess the 1950s version of many people say many people are saying yeah yeah he continues quotes perhaps we are witnessing a grassroots movement back to religion but this is highly debatable After devoting several hundred pages to the encouraging indications of a revival of religious interest in the colleges, Professor Cunningham concludes sadly, quote, Secularism is too widespread for one to be able glibly to conclude that colleges are more Christian in atmosphere than in 1900. So that just, I think that's support for my argument that, you know, they recognized there wasn't really a religious uh, revival going on, except maybe among those particular groups. I think that just uh, supports what I was arguing for there. 
Yeah, no, I think so. Um, <laughs> the next bit is is very like very mealy mouthed. I think the yes. most mealy mouthed bit of of the whole chapter. Well, and it's also where we um, get that that thing I talked about of block quoting interspersed by a few sentences and then block. Yeah, quoting. again, this is this is word count R us. Yeah. Um, I've I've written I've written papers like this where I'm like, well, I think this author has something very important to say on the matter, so I'm going to quote his whole argument and then broadly just agree with it rather than contradicting it. And the argument, like even his the the parts he's quoting are bad. It's like Cunningham even mm-hmm. saying like, eh, I mean, the total impact on the students isn't anti; it's at least non-religious. Which just goes back to what we've been saying all along. He's not neutral on this issue. He doesn't want. Yeah. Because he started off the chapter saying that they're attacking religion. It's not really that there was an attack on religion. It's just that they weren't actively forcing students into Christianity, which is what he's he's really against. And he brings up a couple of quotes, or a couple of uh, studies. There's two studies he talks about, which basically that's that's all he has for really the rest of the chapter. One by the U.S. government and one by Harvard University, which just, you know, did uh, like a survey of colleges in the United States um, and he, as he describes it, the plight of education. I like that 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 uh, neutral framing of the the plight of education is what was being studied by Harvard here. And really, they just found what you would expect, which is that you know most colleges don't really force religion down the throats of students. And this is the greatest tragedy in the history of the universe to him, because we know that's what he thinks should be happening. But then he has a really bad example. Uh, Mm -hmm. attempting to counter the argument that we shouldn't be teaching religion as a truth, right? So he points out here, uh, I believe this is actually from uh, the report, the Harvard report, which says, quote, We are not at all unmindful of the importance of religious belief in the completely good life, but given the American scene with its varieties of faith and even of unfaith, we did not feel justified in proposing religious instruction as a part of the curriculum. So that's from the Harvard report, and it's like part of the conclusions. They're not promoting... Uh, the religious instruction as part of colleges. Well, he points out, as response to that, from President Lowry of the College of Worcester, uh, who said, quote, By the same token, politics might be excluded because there are Democrats and Republicans, physics because there are divergent views about cosmic rays, or athletics because some like Harvard and some like Yale. On this theory, any matter lively enough to call forth more than one deeply or widely held point of view is a doubtful item in the curriculum. Right, so this is exactly what I was saying, that this is very mealy-mouthed because that's not... He doesn't want a comparative religion yes, course. exactly. That's, which is what that quote is saying. Like, you can teach about religion because there are multiple religions and we can analyze them all and figure out how they all approach the world and the differences. That's not what he wants. No. He wants Christianity pushed. And th- that would be like teaching a course. Christianity, yeah. Th- th- yeah, and that would be like teaching a course on why LBJ, LBJ's section of the Democratic Party was right and everyone else is wrong and evil in the politics, the broad politics right. class. Right, exactly. Rather than, as as he would take, you know, as we have it now, we teach about the different views of the parties, the Democrats versus the Republicans. Actually, I don't think very many uh, classes actually go over that explicitly in American politics. No, but there, I mean, the, there is a space for, that's fine, it's just, there's a space for comparative religion courses exactly. like we talked about. But, but it's not what he actually wants. And no. we just keep going back to that same point. He's yeah, that's... and it's it's not it's not us assuming what he wants. It's what he said he wanted at the beginning of the book. So we're just taking him at his word exactly. here, which we know we should not do. <laughs> we no. should know better than to take him we at his word. Come on, take anyone at that word. But yeah. the next one he's complaining about is a uh, report from the President's Commission on Higher Education, and he says about that quote. The document, by indirection, deals a body blow to religion, whose relevance is, does not so much as acknowledge. Pages are spent in a discussion of democratic ideals, and much is made of our cultural heritage. The report, where education is concerned, is one more victory for the secularists. So, he goes on, he does another uh, quote from that Lowry guy who was complaining about the Harvard report before, but it's basically just saying, well, they talk about democratic values. Why don't they talk about the importance of Christianity to democracy? To which I would say, the vast majority of the history of Christianity is not one of democracy. It is very explicitly one of monarchy. That is literally the history of Christianity. And those yeah, are back from times mostly. when people cared about Christianity much more than they do now. 
Yeah, well, Kevin, what you're missing is that actually uh, when he converted, it was an emperor, not a monarch, oh. technically. So it's a history of empire. So what a- when Constantine converted, he was the emperor of Rome. So where's your where's your monarchy now? Uh, France, England, <laughs> uh, yeah. Holy Roman Empire. So that's one for you. Uh, yeah, there you go. Various Germanic kings. I don't know. Take all, your pick. all subject to the Holy yeah. Roman Emperor, though. <laughs> so Even to this day, according to the conspiracy theorists. I, yeah. I did some more digging into that conspiracy theory recently because I, I heard someone saying something that sounded very much like it was go along, along those lines. And I did find there's a strain that believes that the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, that that still controls. And so that's why, because the queen is subject to the Holy Roman Emperor, who is uh, some guy who is a former DJ in Rome. And it's a great <laughs> thing, man. It's a great thing. Anyways, none of that matters. Uh, but he goes on now. The last thing he's going to talk about in this chapter is complaining about the presidents of Yale University. Two in particular. Uh, one was Whitney, or is it Whitney Griswold or A. Whitney Griswold? I don't, a mm-hmm. period. So it must be A, but guy goes by his middle name. So A. Whitney Griswold. Uh, who apparently was confirmed as the 16th president of Yale University on October 6th, 1950. And uh, he didn't bring up Christianity in his speech. So, this is the greatest tragedy to ever befall Yale University. But then the, the guy who did bring bring up Christianity in the speech didn't act on it. Yeah. So it's just like... <laughs> he Because then he talks about the other guy, President Seymour, who I think was the president when uh, Buckley was at Yale. So I think that's why he brings him up in particular. And then, yeah, he does complain. So he goes through and says, well, Griswold didn't bring up Christianity. He talked about, uh, you know, how great uh, the vital forces of Yale are and the powerful traditions, but he didn't say Christianity when he brought it up. And then he talks about President Seymour, who he says, quote, too much significance can, of course, be attributed to an inaugural address undercutting his entire previous argument. President Seymour had made a clarion call for a return to Christian values in 1937, but that did not exercise the extreme secularism that characterized Yale at least during the last four years of his administration, which I assume were when Buckley was there. He then continues, skipping down a little bit. President Seymour's devotion to Christianity and his scholarly appreciation of religious values are on the record for all to see. What I call a failure to Christianize Yale was not due to any lack of sympathy or understanding of religion on his part. It was due rather to the shibboleths of academic freedom that have so decisively hamstrung so many educators in the past 50 years. There, I think we get the most clear symbol that we've gotten in this book so far, that he does not believe in academic freedom, period. Yeah, because he says, I do not believe in academic <laughs> freedom. Pretty much the quote that you just said. I like, know, that's, I, that's look, the power. I, I know that the body is already in the ground. We have put the tombstone at its head. We have shoveled dirt on top of it. But I feel like we need to plant some fresh sod on top of that grave and, and finally finish the burial. That's why I have mm. to bring it up and point it out. Sure. So this brings us to the very end of the chapter. And I will, as I always do, read the final paragraph of chapter one, which is, quote, There can be no judgment of President Griswold's policies and no prediction as to his intentions at this early date. So why the fuck did you bring it up? Yeah, who cares? We can do no better at this time than to invoke the same prayer of his friends on the alumni magazine. May the Lord in whom he devoutly believes bless him and his university. The university which was founded by churchmen, whose trustees for 200 years were exclusively ministers of the gospel, whose corporation meetings are even today opened by prayer, whose every symbol commits it to furthering God's fight. End of chapter one of God and Man at Yale, the superstitions of academic freedom. Fuck, that sucked. Yeah. (laughs) That was such a bad chapter. Uh, Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah. I feel like we have to do a little bit of a, an autopsy, a autopsy okay. of what yeah, we yeah, went sure. through here. Autopsy. Since when we break yeah. chapters up into multiple parts, I feel like we need to we need to combine them a little bit. So, what we got here is a failure, is a failure to communicate, yeah. Dick. But in essence, we got throughout this entire chapter a guy complaining about professors, most of whom he probably never had, and then some textbooks. And I think I think what we saw was toward the end of the chapter, he just got really lazy. He didn't. You yeah. have all the information about all the textbooks. He stopped caring also, about individual Also, it doesn't really matter professors. whether the psychology professors are teaching no, religion. So no, he didn't it really have to doesn't. Check. And at a number of points, he just 
points out how dumb him caring about this is. He just, I mean, right there at the end, President Griswold, how can we know? I just spent two and a half <laughs> okay. pages complaining about him, yeah. but we won't know what he's actually going to do. So it's it's really weird. And I, I go back to what I've said from the beginning and what will be my overarching question for this book. I am sure of it. How is this a conservative classic? How? Yeah, it does not matter. <laughs> I know I jokingly said last time that I understand how it is because it's just bitching about, uh, uh, you know, school and whatever. But in reality, I still do not understand. And I have to hope that in chapter two, which will be complaining about how they teach that evil Keynesian economics in all the classes on campus. um, I have to hope that we're going to get something that resembles an actual argument there. And I think that's the one thing that's really puzzled me is, is they treat Buckley as though he is this master of argumentation. When from the beginning of this book, he said, I'm not making an argument. I'm not going yeah. to argue that Christianity needs to be. I'm no, just that's, say that's written and given. So he's not made an argument. He has just said, it is what it is. So obviously I'm correct and given us very bad evidence that, that it's the case. So I'm hoping we get more in the next chapter. And if we don't, Benedict, it's your fault. <laughs> it's my fault. Because you yep. got to my choose fault. this I book. Take, <laughs> I take responsibility. <laughs> so that's it. For this week's episode, uh, episode, episode, episode. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC, become a patron for as little as two dollars an episode. That's just four dollars a month for patron only episodes, shout outs on the show, early release of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout out to our wonderful and amazing patrons Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David. Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, and George Soros, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, Balls Watterson, and George Soros. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I am the law. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com